right, what is going on, everybody? We're back sitting down again, having another episode. We've been on a little bit of a brief hiatus, but we're back and uh, ready to bring some fire this morning. So what's going on, Zach? Oh, I'm just making it this morning, but glad to be back and ready to talk about this week's uh, topic. Yeah, I know. I feel like we're... uh, kind of getting back to into the uh, meat and potatoes of of what this kind of mission for lack of better words is all about and what you and I are super passionate about not that um, we're not passionate about you know some of the other things that we've talked about but um, the last episode we did was um, a new segment we're calling codger talk um, so we kind of wanted to just try that style of uh podcast out or that segment for lack of better words um and just kind of sit down and have a more casual conversation um but as you know zach there's a time and place for both of those and um we're gonna sit down and have a pretty serious episode here today um but before we get into it guys make sure um if you want to stay up to date with when we drop episodes and that type of thing to follow us on Instagram at Young Codgers Podcast um, to stay up to date with everything we have going on. And then, Zach, where can people send their questions to if they want to ask us something? Pop quiz, you failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ask Codgers uh, at youngcodgers.com. Yeah, I was Man. about to give the wrong one. <laughs> you need more coffee. Yeah, I know. I'm only halfway done with this cup. Ah, uh, well, that's not all right. thinking too quick on my feet today. That's okay. We'll let you pass on this one. <laughs> I threw you a curveball too because I usually Codgers. <laughs> do what? Again, that is ask Codgers at yeah. youngcodgers.com. Yeah, I also kind of <laughs> threw you a curveball because I usually just kind of like ramble through the intro and everything. So. All right, so have it written down, but (laughs) yeah. So today, guys, we're going to talk about something that I think goes right along with um, what we talked about briefly in our intro episode. Um, Today, we're titling um, this episode "Becoming an Effective Man." which I kind of threw around in my head several different titles for that. Um, You know, what is a man? What does it mean to be a man? Whatever. Like, and I think that's something that, you know, we could sit here and split hairs all day long of what is a man, which, you know, this is the firm stance that we take, um, you know, as a collective here between Zach and I, that a man is a biological male, uh, born that way from birth. That's the stance that we hold to be true and know to be true. Um, so that goes without saying, but I think a lot of times people sit and split hairs of, Oh, well, what's a man? What does that look like? What, but what does it mean to be an effective man? And I think that's really where the rubber meets the road here. Um, cause anyone can sit around all day and call themselves a man. um, and not be a good man or an effective man. And ultimately they're just immature little boys. Uh, 
and they're not capable of doing anything. They're not providing well. They're not watching over the herd. Um, so I think this is going to be a really good episode um, to just kind of sit down and hash this out and put our thoughts and convictions out there. Um, but real quick, if, if y'all didn't uh, catch the last episode we did, um, that was our new segment we were talking about a while ago called Codger Talk. Um, and that's just kind of an episode where Zach and I sat down and kind of shot the breeze a little bit and talked about uh, hunting and a little bit of fishing and some things like that. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, that format, but people also don't want to hear, probably hear me talk uh, for an hour on end either about random stuff. So we're getting back into the serious stuff, but uh so the first thing I kind of want to uh, bring to the forefront here is, so how do we become an effective man? Well, first of all, we have to become a good man. Um, I'm going to start this off with a John Eldridge quote from uh, Wild at Heart, um, which is a book that I could not recommend more. Uh, made a huge impact in my life and my walk uh, and showing up as a man. But John Eldred says, I think in like the first or second chapter, um, that Christianity has basically communicated to men that the reason God put you on this earth is to be a good boy. Mind your manners, be a nice guy. Um, and then he kind of goes on to say that the church has quit raising men and they're just raising, you know, really nice guys. Um, Zach, do you want to hit on that real quick and kind of provide some insight on that, um, from your perspective of, I, I mean, you and I go to the same church. Um, I mean, I see it there. I see it at a lot of churches that I've grown up in. Um, and th- this isn't a knock against our church necessarily, and I'm not going to name names, but like, I mean, you see it everywhere. It's even the best churches out there have this problem. Uh, what do you think created that problem? Why do you think it is a problem and what can we do to fix it? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, the churches I've been to growing up and the one we're currently at has aspects of this. I think the one we're at is a little better than previous churches I've been to. By far. Same here. I think a lot of it comes from men being very passive. Uh, yeah. And a lot of it is, well, going along with passivity, they they let their wives kind of run the show, and that plays out in church as well. Um, kind of like what John Eldridge said in the book, church is basically a big women's ministry. They run the children's ministry, the preschool ministry, the older than like, you know, mid elementary level. And most of the time preteens and, uh, youth group. So there's a lot of female influence in all of these areas, which is not a bad thing. I think both perspectives need to be brought to the table. 
Right. But as men, God calls us to be leaders, and I just don't see that a whole lot in the church. There's a few good men who are leaders in a church, like the pastor, um, like the pastoral staff at our church. Yeah. I think they're good leaders. Um, No doubt. But as far as like, you know, the day-to-day stuff, most of the people in church are women that work in the church or serve in the church, which is great. I'm not saying women should not do that. I think it's really important to have people serving in the church in all capacities, but I think men, and this is kind of a challenge for everyone, including ourselves, is men should get more involved in the church, whether that's, you know, a small group outside of church or... day-to-day stuff at a church. Do you think maybe the reason that women lead in almost every other area of the church is because the men lead pastorally? And so maybe there's become a disconnect there to where the ideology of, oh, well, we can't... And I'm not... I'm not taking a stance on this. I'm just saying, oh, since women can't be head pastor, then they need to, you know, they serve in every other area. And so the guys just kind of think that, oh, well, they have that covered. So I don't really need to, you know, step up and do anything. Um, But I think in my opinion, like men need to be leading from every side of the church, not just from the pastoral side of the church. Like, yes, it's extremely crucial and very vital to the church to have a group and a council of men around our head pastor to help him be, to be a sounding board for him and to make sure that we're not going there to worship our pastor. We're going there to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's very important. But I think men often, um, I think maybe it's a pride thing that like they don't want to have to go get bossed around by a bunch of ladies handing out crackers and juice boxes in the kids ministry or, you know, like it's really fun as a guy to lead, you know, high school guys or junior high guys or whatever. But, you know, all the other guy, all the other age groups of kids gets, you know, kind of overlooked or, you know, we see these problems. <clears throat> excuse me. We see all these problems and we go, man, where's all the where's all the guys? Where's all the men to step up and to take initiative Yet none of us are stepping up to witness to these kids and these young boys and young men. Like, mm-hmm. Stella, I'm podcasting, girly. <laughs> Quit shaking and shaking your collar. Anyways, um, but I think it's just there's a, a big disconnect of of where's all these men and really no men stepping up to help and lead. Because I think to a certain extent, uh, like I said, or like I mentioned a while ago, and John Eldridge says that Christianity is, you know, kind of dumbed down the idea that, 
you're, you know, you're to show up to church, your shirt's supposed to be tucked in and, and pleated pants and your dress shoes and, and show up and be on your best behavior and be a nice guy. Don't rock the boat, you know, and that's what you do at church as a man. And once a year you go on a men's retreat and pretend to act like burly, gross, you know, crude men for a weekend. And then you go back to being, you know, little bitch boys after that, you know, it's all a front. Like you yeah. go to the, these men's camps and, oh, we're going to sit around the fire and, and, you know, get our hatchets out and chop firewood and sing, you know, sing next to the campfire with a acoustic guitar and put on this front that we're all men and we all like to be outdoorsy. But then we get back and we're like, man, I missed my toilet. <laughs> or, oh, I yeah. missed taking a shower or, oh man, it's so nice to be in my own bed. So I think there's a lot of systematically speaking, a lot of, uh, problems, uh, in the church. And I, I see it getting better, but I also see it getting worse in a lot of cases. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and knock somebody's sense of style because that would be an a-hole thing of me to do. And I like, I'm not going to do that, but I just, I think it's interesting. Uh, I don't see it as much at the church that we go to, but I see it a lot at some of these other churches around here where the guys are walking in wearing the same things as their wife. You know, they've got on like distressed skinny jeans, a jean jacket and a wide brim hat. And it's like, is that the husband or the wife? I, I can't, I can't tell, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just this weird. And I'm not saying that the way you dress determines your masculinity or the type of man that you are. I just think there's kind of just this weird paradoxical uh, correlation between church and guys just being really good boys or really nice guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you hit on a couple good things. Um, First, I'd like to talk about, uh, like you said, men are the pastoral staff generally, um, pretty much in all cases, uh, depending on what your opinion is on that. But we don't have to get into that. Uh, and then women yeah, kind of fill in the blanks for another time. <laughs> yeah, and then women kind of fill in the blanks of serving in like children's ministry or um, like elderly care, you know, other areas in the church where it's sure you see pretty much all women there. Um, I don't think in every case it's a matter of like the women feel like they can't serve as a pastor so that they're going to go serve in every other capacity. Right. To try to like gain back control. I think, no, I don't think it's a power struggle at all. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if, I think you can have that in like isolated cases in some instances, but yeah. I don't think overall that's kind of like the reasoning. I think also uh, like the children's ministry and preschool ministry, just given the way culture is right now, I feel like a lot of men are probably scared to serve there because they're like, yeah. well, if I do one thing wrong, like I'm part of the Me Too movement and not the right side of it. Well, so, and here's the other thing, like women and if – 
if what I said by that came across is that I was implying something um, that like, oh, well, that's just what they're left with. So they just have to kind of step in line. That's definitely not what I meant. I don't want that to get uh, misconstrued at all. Um, And here's what I will say about that. There are a lot of roles in the church that women are better inclined to do because women are generally speaking more nurturing and empathetic and caring. And (laughs) when you have a bunch of kids running around like a bunch of crackheads, it takes the patience of a woman um, to manage that chaos. You know, Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe that, and I can't believe I'm about to use a Harry Potter quote on here. I think this is from Harry Potter. Um, But I genuinely believe that youth ministry at church is what they say is in Harry Potter is chaos managed. Like there is (laughs) nothing organized at all about youth ministry in church. As much Mm -hmm. as you try to organize it, it's just a roll with the punches, you know, Uh, and women are generally very good at that. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's my caveat um, to that. If, and, you know, maybe restating in a more, in a way that doesn't seem like I'm just saying, all right, women fall in line because the pastors are the men and you can do everything else. You know, like that's, that's certainly not what I wanted to imply. So. Mm-hmm. But um, what do you think as far as, so we've kind of, I mean, it's obvious. I'm sure a lot of people see this in in the church. What do you think um, we can do to fix that? Or at least start trying to, to make headway in that. Yeah. I mean, for those who are married to a woman who serves in church, serve with them mm. would be one way. Um, yeah. That way you can kind of see what they deal with week to week. Um, That's a really good point. Which, you know, you may be leading a small group in another capacity, like a men's group or whatever, and you may not be able to do that. Um, Right. But maybe you could take like a week off a month and go help. Right. Um, But... It just kind of depends on what you do in the church as well. Um, Whether that's like directly in the church on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever day they meet. um, Or if you're doing something with church members outside of the church, like running a small group or something like that. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it for me anyways has been just... um, and I'm certainly not perfect about this um, because I show up for a lot of other people related to our church um, outside of church, not on Sunday Mm -hmm. mornings. Um, But I think the biggest thing for me with figuring out where 
my places to serve on Sundays at church has just been like stepping out of trying to get myself to step out of my comfort zone and go, you know, like the, the big reason that like I have, have avoided having or getting involved with, you know, junior high and high school aged guys is because I just remember that being such a like difficult time in my life and no one really showed up for me in that time as far as like an older guy that whether he was in college or or you know just out of college or whatever like no one really showed up for me in that season of life um and so just like stepping out of my comfort zone and just saying, you know what, like you can do this and you need to do this because like, who am I to sit here and talk about how to be a better man when I'm not contributing to the generations that are to follow me about how to, and leading by example about, mm-hmm. you know, how to be a better man. So I think, uh, for me, and I think maybe for a lot of guys out there, it's just that stepping out of the comfort zone, being vulnerable. And, you know, I think it also comes down to like, you know, getting right with your relationship with God, because, um, you know, my wife has mentioned this multiple times and I think she's extremely wise, but also just on the flip side of that, like, I think there's kind of this idea of like, well, you know, I'm struggling with blank in my walk with Christ. So, you know, who am I to go lead, you know, a group of kids when I'm struggling with blank? Well, yes, that might be true, but you need to get that right with God, give it to God and let him take care of it and then go show up and start leading, you know, Mm -hmm. like, instead of letting that be an obstacle, give that to God, put it on his shoulders because that's what he asked us to do. Pray about it, work on it and go show up and go lead. So, um, definitely wanted to touch on, uh, and we're going to continue to touch on kind of the spiritual slash church stuff, but, um, I wanted to touch on something on a more societal level. Um, and I was actually watching a YouTube video last night. I had never seen this guy's channel before. Um, but it popped up on my like suggested videos. Um, it's a channel on YouTube called dry Creek Wrangler school. Um, and the gentleman's name is Dwayne. And the video that popped up was why I like cigars. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. You know, he kind of has the, actually, I think it's better. Uh, but kind of like Samuel Elliott style, you know, big poofy mustache and cowboy hat and everything. And so I clicked on it and I was watching it. And, uh, so then I clicked on some of his other videos and, uh, he was talking about how to be a proper man and, and some things like that. And he brought up a really good concept and he didn't necessarily call it this, but I guess, uh, this is kind of what I would call it by way of trying to explain it is like this net zero concept of like a lot of people think that like they're good, like, Oh, I'm a good guy or I'm a good man or whatever. And it's like, 
you know, the way he explained it was like, you start at like negative three, right? Well, you know, I don't do drugs. Okay. So now you're at negative two. Well, I don't beat my woman. I don't smack my woman around. I don't verbally abuse her. I don't physically abuse her. Okay. Well now you're at negative one. Okay. Well, you know, I haven't gone to prison. I've never been arrested. Like I do, I keep everything on the up and up. I'm not, you know, an alcoholic, whatever. Okay. Now you're at zero. And he said at that point, the absence of evil or of poor behavior doesn't mean that you're a good man. It just means that you're not a bad person, right? Good means you're not net zero anymore. You're one, two, three, four, five in the positive not sitting at zero. And he, he said, you know, there's that whole movement. And I mean, everybody had him the little ribbon magnet on like people that people would put on their cars. It says like, I support the troops and everything like that. And he was like, okay, so you, you support the troops. Yeah, absolutely. I, I support the troops. Okay. Well, it, you know, do you send them care packages? Well, no, I, I don't, I don't do that, but you know, I, I support the troops. Well, do you write letters, you know? Well, no, but I support the troops. Well, do, you know, do, are you involved with, uh, you know, a, some sort of program to help homeless veterans or wounded veterans or, you know, well, no, but I support the troops. And he was like, no, you don't support the troops. You just don't dislike the troops, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like that being a good man is – is putting out instead of either taking in, taking from, or just sitting stagnant. And sitting stagnant is not good. You, Yeah, you might be, quote unquote, what society would define as a moral or ethical person, but being a good man, being an effective man means, hey, I'm putting out good energy out into the world, number one, just the way I carry myself and my personality. And number two, I'm showing up to serve others. Uh, Obviously, that goes without saying for your wife, uh, your spouse. But that also goes for like we were just talking about serving at your church, serving your friends. I mean, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, but like I love doing things for the guys in our group. Like, last weekend went over and helped Luke build a fire pit and I showed up another guy in our group showed up. Uh, one of Luke's buddies was there and dude, we like, it took us longer making trips back and forth from Lowe's and waiting on the materials to be loaded at Lowe's than it did for us to build the fire pit. And like, it was a big fire pit. Well, the fire pit wasn't, but like the rock area around it was like, pretty good size. And, um, and we got it knocked out and mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, sure. It was fun. And I love doing DIY stuff, but like, I just, I love doing things for other people. Um, and again, I don't say that to be facetious or, you know, whatever. Like I didn't used to be that way. 
anytime someone would ask me to do something, dude, I would come up even up to like an hour before doing it. I would come up with every excuse in the book not to do something for someone because I wanted to relax or do my own thing or it was inconvenient for me to go out of my way to do it. And like, that's just not, it's just not productive. Like Mm -hmm. it just, it doesn't help you build relationships with others. It doesn't like it, it, tarnishes your credibility with others when you say you're going to do something and then you don't. Um, so becoming a good man means not sitting at that, like Dwayne, uh, kind of said, not being at that, like kind of net zero is, you know, I want to be in the positives. I want to be making deposits and, and putting it out there um, instead of either taking or sitting at zero, you know, and I guess a good way to look at that is like, you know, if you have $0 in your bank account before too long, like that bank's not making it any, like a bank makes money by you having your money there so that they can loan your money out to other people. And if you have $0 in your account, they're going to call you and say, Hey, we're going to close your account because you're not benefiting them by your money being there. You know, that's kind of how I look at it, I guess. So yeah. I know you had some some points on this, so I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I think that is a really interesting concept and a question I would just give the listeners as you go throughout your day would be, is the U.S. culture, like the United States culture, is our idea of morality net zero or... Is 100%. It net positive. That's, yeah, that's really, really profound. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be loyal to the foil here for a second, as Andy and DJ would, would say on, on Real AF. But like, and we've talked about this in, in other episodes, like the ultimate complacency creator of all time was COVID. You had Mm -hmm. people sitting on their butts for two, well, two weeks, you know, to flatten the curve. Uh, Mm -hmm. We all saw how that went, but uh, there was no incentive to do anything. The government was handing out $1,200 checks left and right. People were being laid off from their jobs. So they're on unemployment. And they were sitting at home playing video games, eating Reese's and popcorn all day. Yeah. And then now we're expected to go back out into society and be functioning humans after over two years of doing nothing. Like, hundred like I could not have made a more valid point than you did. Like, is a society, we are totally a net zero uh, society. Skim right along, do the bare minimum of what you have to do to survive, and the government will just take care of you. The government's mm-hmm. your friend. They're your buddy. And they'll come right alongside you and give you a little pat on the butt and say, good job, sport, you're doing great, when you're not. Mm-hmm. You suck, and your life sucks, and you hate yourself, 
and you're unmotivated and you're lazy. So, yeah. Uh, another point to make was uh, I haven't read this book in years, but it's called How God Makes Men by Patrick oh, Morley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not, but I have. it goes through 10 different um, men in the Bible and it tells their story and gives you a little bit of insight on how. Um, how God makes men. Yeah. Um, it some ain't of the easy. Questions, no, it's not. Some of the questions that each chapter goes through and um, is nuanced by each character in the Bible is why is it so hard to live an authentic Christian life? Who will show me how to thrive as a father, a husband and on the job? And what should I do when I'm being tested to the breaking point? Um, so if you're trying to start a group with a group of guys, um, and you need a book recommendation, this would be a good one. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic it's book. It's 10 chapters, but I mean, a 10 week study would be pretty, um, it's pretty average. Pretty easy to, yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy to convince guys to commit 10 weeks. So it's one um, we might have to do with our guys. Honestly, yeah. it's been a while since I've yeah. read that. Might be a good one. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, I mean, that brings up a great point. Like, um, look at all the men in the Bible who were prominent men and what their, what their journey to becoming prominent men in the Bible was versus men in the Bible who fell short of the mark and, you know, like, Think about everything that Paul and Peter and Matthew and all of those guys did in the Bible as Jesus's disciples. And then look at Judas. Judas mm -hmm. betrayed the savior of the world. And there's a reason Judas doesn't have a book of the Bible named after him. There's a reason why out of all of Jesus's disciples, Judas was not mentioned as much. We don't mm -hmm. really, besides maybe a couple of circumstances, we don't really hear about Judas until the, the crucifixion and the events yeah. leading up to that. Like we really don't hear about him. And I can't say this for certain, but I have a really good hunch that that's probably probably because Judas flew under the radar. He was all, yeah, he was always there, I would imagine, and always traveled with Jesus and and the disciples, and probably was a quote unquote really nice guy, but mm -hmm. did the bare minimum, and we never heard about him until he, you know, sold Jesus out and like. Then I mean, especially you look at the Old Testament and a lot of those guys rode to prominency in the Bible was paved with mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at David, like one of the biggest screw ups in the Bible and yet was a king in which God deeply loved and rose to prominence and became one of the godliest examples of a man we've ever seen in the Bible. 
you know, like it's, it doesn't have to be perfect, but like the road to greatness and excellence looks different. Even thousands of years ago when Jesus walked the earth, then like even that long ago, there was examples of people who made the cut and succeeded and people who didn't. And you don't hear about those people in the Bible, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we could sit and kind of unpack that all day, but something that uh, I really want to rock the boat with here um, is I think another crucial, and these are in no particular order, by the way. Um, I think another very crucial part to um, becoming an effective man is being a dangerous man. Um, again, I'm going to use the John Eldridge quote here, um, from wild at heart again. Um, he said, she needs a lover and a warrior, not a really nice guy. Um, and I think with this idea of toxic masculinity, that's been so ingrained in our society, it's not possible for men to be properly dangerous. And I say properly dangerous because the reason we are at the point where we're at and why this quote unquote toxic masculinity has become so ingrained in our society is because we haven't learned to discern what a truly dangerous man is versus what a dangerous man is. There are a lot of dangerous men out there who are psychotic, egotistical, abusive, low-life men who tried to portray this hard-ass, you know, mentality and lack of empathy and all of this that have led us to this point. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Being a dangerous man does not mean that you're dangerous to other people. Um, Yeah. Like something like kind of what I was thinking about is like, um, oh, what was the, the two great Pyrenees out at uh, the farm? Jack and... I don't remember the other I, one. Yeah, name. I can't remember the other one's name either. But so where Zach and I used to work, they had these two great Pyrenees and those dogs were guard dogs for the sheep because we were having some issues with um, coyotes and things like that, getting in with the sheep and killing them. Um and those dogs couldn't have been nicer dogs. Like you mm-hmm. walk up to them, they want pets, they want, you know, whatever. Those dogs weren't sitting down at the road, you know, bowing up and barking at everything that came by. No, they were hanging out with the sheep and they weren't a danger to the sheep. They were hang- they looked like the sheep sometimes. Big fluffy white thing laying in the field. And when the sheep uh-huh. were taking a nap in the shade, the dogs were taking a nap in the shade. But 
the hell that would break loose if a coyote got in that pen with those dogs in there shortly after we stopped working there and Evan had gone back to working there, they found one of the dogs in the other neighborhood. Uh, the owners of the farm heard a ruckus that night. They went to go find the dog. They found the dog in the other neighborhood covered in blood from killing a coyote. That's like that concept of, and like, of you're not dangerous to the sheep. You're not dangerous to the people around you, but God mm-hmm. forbid you try to hurt me, my wife, my family, my loved ones. It's going to get dangerous real fast. And you're going to wish yeah. that you hadn't mm-hmm. like point blank. And there's so many people that couldn't be dangerous if their life depended on it because yeah. they're weak and, and, they sit inside and they play Xbox or they go out and they drink and they bet on, you know, gamble on sporting odds and, and, you know, play fantasy football and whatever. Like, and those are, you know, I enjoy drinking. I enjoy playing fantasy football, but I also get up and I go to CrossFit and I get in good shape. And I also go out and I take the tools that I have to my disposal and I train and I shoot my, my firearms because mm-hmm. what good is it for me to, to have it if I don't know how to use it? I'm just as dangerous with that gun not being trained as I am without it. Yep. If you're not trained with that weapon, you're a more of a danger to yourself and everyone else around you than if you would have just left it at home, you know? Um, and I think that's, what's been so misconstrued is that people think that like being a dangerous man means you're a danger to society or to people around you. No, being a dangerous man means you're capable of protecting people around you and no one would ever know it, but man, they're going to wish that they wouldn't have poked that bear when something happens. That's what I mean by be dangerous. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Jordan Peterson has a quote where he says, learn to be an absolute monster and then learn to control it. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes from him, for sure. Yeah, I feel like a lot of men, back to the passivity topic, are uh, they they hear that and they're like, oh, I have permission to be a monster. I'm going to do whatever I want. And they are passive in the last part of that and they don't ever learn to control it. Or they're too afraid to become the monster. Yeah, that too. You know? Um, Yeah, if they don't learn to control it, they're just a horrible person walking through life, a danger to everybody around them, uh, especially the ones they love. Um, But then if they're not in any way, shape, or form a monster um, that's under control, they can't protect anybody. No. So... Yeah, and I mean, you know, that that goes back to having having to have a lot of judgment too is a mm-hmm. part of being a dangerous man is is using the brain God gave you and knowing when to okay, hey, there's a way for me to get out of this situation without any conflict, without any you know, altercation. I'm going to choose that path. 
You should always mm-hmm. choose the path of trying to remove yourself from the situation. And when that is no longer an option, you got to get dangerous. Yeah. Like the only fight you win is a fight you never fought. That's right. Yep. Because there's uh, losses on both sides whenever, uh, whether it's, you know, a physical fist fight or whatever, there's going to be losses on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, whether or, that's a fist fight, a gun fight, uh, right. or just a yelling fight. Yeah. I think, too, it, it's, you know, part of that being a dangerous man is, you know, spiritually as well. Um, you want to be the guy that, um, and I believe this is another John, John Eldridge quote, you want to be the guy that when you're f- feet hit the floor in the morning the devil goes oh crap he's up mm-hmm. like spiritually speaking and i'm not perfect and no one is but like spiritually speaking that's the kind of dangerous you want to be spiritually dangerous where hey man throw it at me like let's let's go there like i know where my where my happiness comes from and my strength comes from and the strength I have in my creator and my God and my savior, even at my most weakest points is still immensely greater than the devil and the things that this world is going to throw at me. And while it's really easy to get upset or disappointed like i get it like there's so many things in life where we get disappointed and our expectations aren't met and things didn't pan out the way that we thought they would you know um but like be spiritually dangerous be the type of of man that is undeniably like undeniably authentic and grounded and like that, especially guys out there that are single, like that is the most attractive thing you can be. If you're looking for a partner, especially a godly partner is to be undeniable. And the way Mm -hmm. that you will be undeniable is, is by being the type of man spiritually that you can be an effective leader and know where your strength and your power comes from. So I see you flipping pages. You got a, you got a quote you want to bring us once we get to the next topic. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. So we'll move on from that. Um, and uh, th- these these two kind of go hand in hand um, because I think so. The next one is being a capable man, and I think being dangerous, being a dangerous man, and being a capable man kind of go hand in hand, um, especially when it comes to fitness. Um, you know, I don't expect anyone per se to like just because I enjoy doing CrossFit doesn't mean that um, other people have to do CrossFit to be in shape. I know a lot of dudes that are bodybuilders or, you know, are marathon runners or triathlon guys or Ironman guys, like whatever your 
mode of, of fitness is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you get to a point of being in optimal physical uh, shape because, you know, what are you going to do if crap hits the fan and you're put in a survival situation or, you know, a uh, situation where, you know, maybe you have to get somebody out of a, of a bad spot and you can't even walk across the parking lot without, you know, starting to get heavy breathing. Like you're not going to be able to help anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's something that's achievable overnight. Just wake up every day and just do something. Just consistency. That's that's literally all it takes is just saying, hey, every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be consistent. And especially for people who um, might be overweight or who have struggled with staying motivated uh, with their fitness, um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of them, but um, Annie Frisella with First Form has a fantastic podcast um, called Real AF where he goes through the whole 75 hard program. And if you're either overweight or really want to challenge yourself mentally and physically, go through there. He has a whole series of of podcasts going over that. And that is a fantastic way, especially kind of an all encompassing, uh, what we're kind of after here of being a good man, mentally, physically all around. There's a lot of elements of that program that really give you a lot of mental fortitude. Um, so I personally haven't completed 75 hard, um, I screwed up and I had to start over. So, uh, that kind of sucked, but, um, I'm going to finish it someday. And, uh, but even like the time that I was doing it, it was like, it, it changed a lot for me and I didn't even complete it. So I can't imagine how people feel like completing it, you know? Um, so I'll quit beating that horse, but guys just like find a way to, get exercise and be in shape. Um, preferably not just going on walks. Like, you know, you got to start somewhere, but the goal here is to be able to, you know, render aid or be capable of helping someone in need. Um, and you just being a healthy person so that you can be there for your kids and your spouse and, and that kind of thing. So, um yeah, that's really good joe rogan also has a lot of uh yeah. fitness slash uh dietary yep. um yep information that you can learn from i've been listening to joe rogan's interviews with a guy named rob wolf yeah rob wolf's awesome yeah he's he talks a lot about like a um customized ketogenic diet Right. It's really working for a lot of people. Um, it's not zero carb. It's you get some carbs, but you're mainly keto mm-hmm. and it helps a lot of people in a relatively easy way. So right. if that's something that you're uh, really struggling with and you need more of like an easier start, that may be an option. Um, yeah. And that's very valid. Yeah. Like a lot of it, you know, 
you know, is setting realistic goals and, uh, just putting one foot in front of the other. Like when I started CrossFit, um, a little over a year ago, like there was movements where, um, a lot of it was because I was trying to understand the technique to some of these more complex, uh, lifts and movements, um, that I didn't even put weight on the bar. I literally just used bar weight, but that was also because I couldn't physically get through a lot of these longer paced workouts with weight on the bar. Like I was not in great shape. Um, certainly cardio wise, I was in terrible shape. Um, and so it just took that time and repetition of just showing up and doing it. And, and, you know, like you mentioned, Zach, like just start and just start putting one foot in front of the other day by day. And, you know, you'll get there. So, yeah. Um, so, and, uh, Morgan Snyder's book, Becoming a King, uh, in chapter five, it talks about becoming a generalist, which is yep. the idea of becoming capable in um, pretty much all aspects of life. Right. Uh, a quote I wanted to say from that was, as a byproduct of the industrial and technological age, one of the greatest unspoken tragedies of our time is the atrophy of what it means to be a man. Yeah. Is the list uh, of those things close to that page at all? Of the uh, being able to do this and do that list that he gives? Because I remember that being something that was really like, kind of gave me a lot of perspective on that. It might be later on in that chapter, but I think it was close to there. <laughs> Um, was it your quote from the guy who said he could do, uh, this, this, and this, but there's no way he could imagine doing whatever else he said. Maybe. I just remember there being like a, a, a part where he talked about every man should, you know, at least know how to use some sort of tool for hunting, should know how to, um, build blank, should know how to, um, I can't remember all the stuff on there, but like, yeah, I, I just think it. you want to read it. Yeah, read it. All right, uh, handle a tool, a weapon, and a book with integrity of hands and heart. Yep. Handle a woman's heart with care for her own sake. Bring order to chaos. Plant and cultivate something living. Build something physical with your own hands. Fix things. Put food on the table with your own hands rather than uh, with your dollars. Yep. Survive in life-threatening situations. Provide basic first response medical care. Be inter integrated in soul, living in union with God. Yeah. I think um, like a lot of those in that kind of go back to being a dangerous man. Um <laughs> And like knowing how to render aid or the one that really uh, resonates with me is being able to bring order to chaos. Um, 
and this is something that will my other point we'll talk about after this but there's two ways you do that one emotionally and verbally and two by physical means and that goes right back into being a dangerous man how do you bring mm-hmm. order to chaos not by being a passive little wimp that's for sure you know mm-hmm. um so anyways but and then i think later on in the book there's a quote about how that men should know how to fix a lawnmower as effectively as they know how to fix a woman's heart. Yeah. And I think as men, a lot of times we struggle with the capability to be, um, there's men who either are mechanically inclined to know how to fix things or are more emotionally inclined. Um, and finding that balance is really important of, you know, there's nothing wrong with knowing how to fix everything in the world. But if you don't know how to fix your marriage or fix your relationships around you, that's what actually needs fixing on the, mm-hmm. the inverse of that is, you know, you can be as in touch with your emotions and your marriage is physically possible, but if you don't even know how to change a light bulb or fix a sink or mow your yard, what good are you know, how are you showing up to serve other people? Now I'm not saying, Hey, I'm not saying you have to mow your yard as a man. I know a lot of dudes that are super manly men that pay somebody to mow their yard. Mm-hmm. Number one out of not having time to do so because they're pouring out so much of themselves to others or they just don't enjoy mowing their yard, but they still know how to mow a yard and run a mower. Like it's not that they don't know how it's just, Hey, I don't enjoy doing that. So to me, it's worth paying the, however many bucks a month I have to pay to have someone come do it. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fine to outsource areas of your life, um, to other people. As long as you're not outsourcing all of those areas to other people. Uh, and where it gets especially dangerous is when those areas where you're outsourcing are creating complacency. Um, and I think that's the line that we have to walk is that there's nothing wrong with the convenience of having a beautifully manicured lawn. Um, as long as we're making sure that that's not getting in the, like as long as we're making sure that that's not creating complacency to just, Oh, well, I don't have to mow today. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, instead of coming home from work and mowing, I'm going to come home, sit in the lazy boy and drink a beer and chill out all evening, you know, mm-hmm. saving time mowing your yard should create other opportunities to invest in people, not create in time to be, you know, create time to be selfish. Um, yeah. and I'm just using that as an example. There's tons of areas where that could be true. So, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the biggest things about being a capable man too, is becoming educated. Um, now I don't specifically mean, uh, getting a degree or having a degree, College is for some people and it's not for others. Um, so I don't necessarily mean um, a college education, but 
having wisdom and knowledge. And it's like Mm -hmm. the old saying of like, having knowledge is knowing that a tomato is technically a fruit. Having wisdom is knowing that you don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. You know, like, I know that's kind of a dumb like quote, but you know, I guess like in a dumbed down way, you know, that's kind of, kind of true. Um, and learning new things. We talk mm-hmm. about that a lot, uh, especially on that, our, our episode about hobbies. Um, and then being able to provide financially, that's a huge um, way of how you show up as a capable man. So, uh, Zach, I'd like to give you the, the stage for a sec to, to hit on some of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're working to provide financially um, and that requires an education just from what you feel like you want to pursue or need to pursue, right? Uh, then you can get that education. Absolutely. Um, as long as that's not putting you in a horrible situation financially. Because um, I think that's... Uh, the world has definitely made it like, oh yeah, you can you can justify this because you're going to get a degree and make so much money afterwards. Right. But that's where you have to have some wisdom and mm-hmm. some uh, forethought on is this job, like is the job that I can get with this degree really going to pay back the cost of this degree? Right. Um, so that's that's important and you know maybe if you're younger considering college or trade school or whatever um talk to some guys that have done both Mm -hmm. or like some guys that have done trade school some guys that have gotten degrees and see what they think um especially if they're in the job that you want to be in one day yeah because they can give you better insight than we can on whether or not you should get that degree or that training or certification or whatever that looks like. But, uh, also on learning new things. Um, I don't remember where I heard it this week, but I either read it or heard it, but it said, if you stop learning new things, you basically, you're basically useless at that point. Um, yeah, cause you just, you shut down pretty much the whole world, um, and all possibilities of growing at that point. So, and I think, uh, you know, as a Christian, I know, um, what this concept is, uh, mm-hmm. the world views it as what energy are you putting out in the universe? That's kind of like, how the world views it of, Oh, well, you know, if I quit learning, I'm telling the universe, I'm putting the energy out there that like, I don't care to know what anyone else knows or thinks or whatever, or, you know, if you can't be happy for other people's successes, you're putting energy out into the universe and you're telling the universe that like, I don't, I don't want to be successful or I don't deserve to be successful basically is what you're saying by when you're crapping on other people's success, you're telling the universe, I don't deserve to be successful because I can't even be happy for other people's successes. What we Mm -hmm. know as Christians is that 
by us being complacent and not learning, whether that's educationally, spiritually, vocationally, um, you're telling God that like, I'm not stewarding the blessings that you've given me. And I therefore don't care to be blessed by you is essentially what you're saying. Is it like, well, I don't want to learn anything new. I'm good with where I'm at. And you're basically Mm -hmm. telling God, okay, don't bless me because I don't want to seek your blessings and seek what you have for my life. I just want to be, I just want to chill right here, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's very selfish. So, yeah. Um, what about financially? I mean, what is that? You know, I know that's a big kind of, maybe not point of contention, but kind of like, um, I think more now than ever, we're seeing um, women and families who are the, you know, top earner or the sole earner or the main earner of that family. Um, I'm going to ask you a really hard question here. Do you think that a man can still show up and lead a family capable like and be capable of leading a family and be the true leader in that family when he's not the main earner for that family yes i think he can um it just kind of depends on the situation if uh he can surrender his pride and you know it also depends on the situation Obviously, yep. Uh, if he lost his job and now his wife's making all the money, um, and that's it, you know, I think he can still lead in stewarding that money and mm-hmm. you know making sacrifices, like showing that he's willing to make a sacrifice, right, in order for everybody else in the family to have what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably key to this working for him. Yeah. Um, but I think if he if it's passivity or just complacency yep. that's allowing which I don't think it's wrong that the wife or the woman in the situation makes more money than the guy. I don't think that's, you know, no, not at all. The biggest problem in the world. But um if it's complacency, I think he should probably get off his ass and go do a side job yeah. or something. Find um, something. Yep. to help provide because if if it's complacency driven that tells and it's not yeah yeah that basically tells his wife like you know what you got this i'm good yeah we're good yeah um so that's not really a good situation to be in uh and you know it could just be the uh season of life you're in that you know you lost a job or you had to take a pay cut just so you sure. have a paycheck Sure. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you can just both talk through that uh, maturely and come to a conclusion on how the household's going to be run. Um, yeah. I think really the concept of like sharing the money, like, yes, she made more money this month, but it's our money. But really, it's God's money. Right. Uh, because he blessed her I mean, with the job to be able to to make that am- amount yeah. of money and use it for for good. Yeah. Um, 
so here's kind of where I stand on that is that number one, that has to be a mutual decision. If it's not mm-hmm. a mutual decision, it's not like not good. Like from the get go, if, if it was not a decision that was prayed over, thought through and given to God, and then ultimately made together, then you're already off to a bad start. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we prayed about it. We, you know, we believe that this is what God wants and how we're going to run our family for the time being. Okay. Now you're off to a good start, but the husband has to be able to swallow his pride to not go, well, you know, I'm just walking around here being a housewife all the time. Cause you make all the money and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Swallow your pride. You, you have to remember, Hey, we made this decision together. And then mm-hmm. secondly, the wife who is the main earner in that situation has to set her pride aside and not hang it over her husband's head that, well, I make all the money, so I'm going to go ahead and make this decision without you. She still has to respect his leadership as the head of that family. And, and that's where I think that that causes problems. Mm -hmm. I know a bunch of people that do it. I know a bunch of people that are very happy and have very healthy marriages that that is the dynamic, but it lends itself to that ultimate problem of in a moment of weakness and in a moment of pride, a wife saying, well, I'm the reason we live in this house. I'm the reason that you drive that truck. I'm the reason that you get to go fly around in an airplane a couple hours a week and have your pilot's license or like, or that you get to go hunting and go on duck hunts and all that. Like, but the inverse of that is also true. And there are a lot of husbands that go, well, I make the money and you know, you're always just out swiping my card all the time, buying Louis Vuitton bags and going to spa day with the girls and whatever. It's like, Hey, if that's in the budget and I, and, and you've given your wife and trust your wife to make smart decisions financially, I don't care what you spend our money on as long as Mm -hmm. we're covered and we're on the same page about what our finances look like, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, in my own marriage personally, like Casey and I have a set dollar amount that like, Hey, if it's going to cost over X amount of dollars, let's talk about it. If it's under that, Hey, great. As long as you know, Hey, I know that's in the budget. We've budgeted. We know where we sit for the month. Mm-hmm. You don't need to ask me to go get your nails done. You don't need to ask me to go hang out with your friends or go buy stuff. You go buy makeup, go buy, you know, if you needed some tops or, you know, pants or whatever, like you don't need to ask me that. Like I trust you and I trust that, you know, our environment is healthy and we're on the same page. Now we struggle with that sometimes as, as anyone does, but like being a capable man financially also comes down to the communication that you and your spouse have. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss. Um, 
real quick, if you'll let me, I thought of something that I was going to hit on um, about being a dangerous man, and I forgot it, and I remembered it. Um, but I think part of being a dangerous man outside of physically and tactically and uh, being protective um, means being willing to take risks and being willing to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because we live in a society that has so much perceived comfort. Um, so for those of you that don't know, and I don't know that any of you would, but like, so a little over a week ago, I guess it would have been a week ago, Wednesday, I left my full-time job, um, I'd been there over a year and a half. Um, pretty good company as far as like, you know, there's definitely some frustrating things about it, but this is a company where most of the people that were there were 15, 20, 30 year employees. Um, and was presented with a fantastic opportunity from a, um, mutual connection of my brother to uh, help operate a startup for a business and prayed about it and thought about it. And that was the decision that Casey and I came to that we thought God was leading our family towards. And I quit my job and, you know, no insurance, no benefits, like no nothing. And, but I felt like, and we felt like that that's where God wanted us and the move that he wanted for our family. And I did it and it's extremely uncomfortable and it's really scary. (laughs) Um, (laughs) like it really is like, it scares the crap out of me. Um, but a lot of times we miss out as men on really good opportunities because we're just too afraid to, to take that leap, you know, spiritually Mm -hmm. where we miss out on opportunities to serve because we're too afraid of, you know, we let our own insecurities get in the way or our sin struggles or whatever. And it keeps us from serving, which, you know, if you're Satan, what better way to keep God's people from serving than guilting them for their sin and making them feel like that because of a certain struggle, they can't serve you know, and keeping them trapped in that. Um, and sin is an open jail cell. Um, it really is. And, uh, so I, like, I just think we have to be part of being a dangerous man is being willing to take calculated risk, thought through risk. Um, but like, and being uncomfortable, whether that's with a business decision or, putting yourself in some sort of like subjecting yourself to a certain sense of adversity, whether that's backcountry hunting, whether that's, uh, your fitness regimen, um, you know, whatever it may be, pain and sweat breeds a lot of, uh, creates a lot of strength and resilience. Um, it's, I think looked very looked over, um, these days. So I want to hand the, uh, hand the baton back to you on, on some of this stuff. And, um, I think kind of the final 
point that I want to make here before we wrap up is being a calm man um, and learning to adopt, you know, a sense of stoicism. So given your personality, I'd like for you to kind of, um, kind of talk about, you know, maybe why you're not always the first one to speak in a group or, um, because you're not shy by any means. You're not a shy or timid person, but you're very reserved. So, um, I thought you'd be good to talk about this. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes from, I like to listen and hear other people's perspective before I start talking. Mm -hmm. Um, which it's kind of like a seeking comfort, but if I know that I have as much information as possible, then I feel like that's when I can start talking. Sure. Um, so it's definitely like a safety mechanism in my mind, but, <laughs> um, you know, cause if I just, if I start talking, then I'm probably gonna say something stupid, which is right. fine. Like we're, we're all men. We can say stupid stuff from time to time, but especially me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important. And we saw that at group this past week of, you know, just correcting ourselves like, Oh, that mm-hmm. came out way wrong. That's not really what I intended. Um, right. So I need to correct that. And I think that's important. And I have, really no issues with that. I used to like way too much pride to admit that I was wrong. Yeah. But I'm growing out of that, thankfully. Um, and I just really don't have room in my mind for drama. So mm-hmm. if there's a dramatic situation going on, I'm either going to walk away or avoid it the next time. Right. Um, I yeah. won't give any more details than that. <laughs> well, I think uh, I heard this quote and I can't for the life of me remember where I heard it. But um, and I, th- I think it's a pretty well-known uh, phrase, but it's better to um, appear quiet. Or I'm sorry, it's better to remain quiet and appear a fool than to speak and uh wait hold on i'm butchering this but basically it's like it's better to stay quiet and remove all doubt than to speak and be a fool like it'd be better for you to not say something and people be like well maybe he's just you know he's not smart or whatever than to know anything about the topic right it's better to stay quiet you might know everything about Mm -hmm. it but it might be better Mm -hmm. to stay quiet in certain circumstances and appear like an idiot than to speak about something and create doubt yeah you know another quote that kind of goes with this and also being dangerous is speak softly and carry a big stick yeah (laughs) yeah i'm i sincerely apologize guys because i totally butchered that quote um but i just think that like a lot of times and this is something that i really struggle with um is i i love to give my input um and like 
give my two cents and help encourage people and things like that. Um, because I like to encourage others. And so I, I like to give my input and I like to feel like Mm -hmm. my input is heard and valued. But a lot of times that creates a situation in which other people don't have the opportunity to share the valuable information that they have. Um, so the actual quote, and it's from Abraham Lincoln, um, it is better to ram- to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. So basically what he's saying is that like, it's better to just not say anything about something and appear a fool than to speak to try to remove the doubt that someone may have of you and instead create a situation in which they doubt you anyways is kind of what I guess Mm -hmm. I get from that. Um, Yeah. I mean, a lot of that's just wisdom because if you're at dinner with your in-laws and you uh, remain quiet on a topic, they may be, they may think of you one way, but then if you open your mouth, they're going to be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think there's so much to be said on, especially just being quiet, being calm, being stoic. Um, number one mentally, because, um, I think, uh, and I haven't done enough research on this to speak, um, to speak properly on it. Um, but we're living in a time in which we've, we're seeing probably the most mental health, uh, issues that we've Mm. maybe ever seen. And I'm not sure, like I said, I can't really speak on it. Um, to, and know for sure, but I think it could be that, people are actually talking about it more now. And so it seems more prominent. Um, But I also don't think that it's unlikely that due to the way our society is currently has rendered us to being more susceptible to mental health. Um, But I think as men, we're constantly, we live in this culture, especially in this like entrepreneurship circle of, Oh, rise and grind, bro. You know, you can sleep when you're dead. Like I don't get tired. You know, I got side hustle after side hustle. And, you know, I wake up, drink my coffee, go to the gym, pound some pre-workout, come back, drink a Red Bull and, you know, driving to work with rap or rock or whatever cranked up. And, you know, you stop through your McDonald's drive through bumper to bumper and get a sugar breakfast and then you know you're drinking dr peppers and mountain dews all day and you're just constantly stimulated constantly left and right just stimulated like Mm -hmm. that's not good it's not healthy uh number one for your poor heart (laughs) uh and number two like just mentally it's not you know going out and staying out till 2 a.m. and closing down the bars while it might be fun. (laughs) Like that's just not, it's not healthy. It doesn't, 
doesn't do good for you mentally. I mean, I know a lot of people that choose not to drink. Uh, you know, a lot of people who don't choose to drink because, you know, alcoholism runs in their family or they struggle with mm-hmm. alcoholism at one point or another or whatever. But like, I'm hearing of more and more people that don't drink simply because what it does for their, um, for their mental, like just the way that they, um, it yields them to depression easily. And, you know, someone who is depressed. Yeah. I mean, we've known for a while that alcoholism and depression go hand in hand, but even people that, you know, aren't alcoholics or don't abuse alcohol still have noticed that their mental capacity, their depression or their anxiety or, or any of those tendencies are extremely heightened when they consume alcohol and not even in copious amounts. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's interesting. Um, you know, stay less caffeinated. I, I love coffee as much as the next guy, but I have I have my cup in the morning and I might have one in the afternoon if I just need a little bump and that's it. I don't go around pounding Red Bulls all day like I used to. And guys, being part of being a calm man too is learning to listen to your body. When you're tired, go to bed. You know, like, yep. and there's a difference between, oh, I'm tired at 1.30 in the afternoon, I need a nap. No, dude, you need to get your work done, you know, push through. I know you're tired, but like you're hitting that post-lunch slump. You're good. You'll get through it. You know, three o'clock will come around. You'll be good to go. I'm talking about like in the evenings, like dude, Mm -hmm. if seven 30 rolls around and, and I'm speaking for guys, you know, that might not have kids or or something like that because family comes first. Um, but like you and your wife are good. Y'all have had your time, you know, house is cleaned up. Dinner's cleaned up, you know, You've shown up for your responsibilities for that day. 7.30 rolls around and you're tired, go to bed. Mm-hmm. Don't go crack a Red Bull because you think you need to stay up till 11 or 12. Hey, man, if all your stuff's done and you're tired, listen to your body. That's part of being calm and being stoic is listening to your body. Um, that's helped me immensely. I still don't sleep as good as I would like, but just not forcing myself to sit up on the couch and watch YouTube or shows or whatever has been so like pivotal in feeling calm and at peace and not being so stressed all the time. Um, Another big thing for me, I cut out everyone in my life that created drama. Everyone. Yeah. Like it's important. There's a certain situation that has lingered in my life for a long time where it was constant drama, constant turmoil, constant chaos. And it got to the point to where I said, no more. I can't, I can't keep doing this. Like I have to watch out for myself and my spouse and like, I can't do it. Like, it's just, it's not okay. And I'm sorry. I'm cutting you out of my life. And I've had to do that with loved ones. I've had to do that with friends. I've had to do that with coworkers, with like, you name it. I've had to do that because I was on edge 24-7. And it was like, you know, like you couldn't even, and Casey and I talk about this all the time, where 
we couldn't even enjoy the good times that we were having because like we couldn't even enjoy going on a vacation because it's like, uh oh, like it's too good right now. Like, oh shit, when's the, you know, when's something going to happen? When's the shoe going to drop? Like yeah. you can't even enjoy the good times you have because you're so worried about, okay, when's it going to happen? And you just see that ticking time bomb and you're like, all right, here it comes, here it comes. Boom. And then for two weeks of your life or a month of your life or six months of your life, it's chaos, it's turmoil, it's stress, it's depression, anxiety. Like I just, I didn't have the headspace for it. Yeah. And anytime those people, whether it's friends, family, coworkers, anytime those people try to gain a footing back in my life, as much as I care about those people, um, I just have to say no, because my mental health and my family and my wife is more important than you having a place in my life. And yeah. now I'm not saying there's a difference between people being annoying or people that you just don't get along with because you have personality differences. But the people that are constantly seeking drama, stirring up drama, the sky's always falling, cut them out. They don't need to be in your life because they're not helping you move the needle forward. Does that make yeah. sense? And it's hard. Like, it's super hard. Like, in a certain circumstance, I've had to take... It's been year after year after year of where it finally got to a point where I said no more. And it's been almost a year of still having to, like, constantly fight to stay to where I'm in a good spot and to where my family's in a good spot. Um and that's not just with that's not just one situation in my life there's so many situations in my life that are you know equally as draining um where i just have to say no um so stoicism is very important um because we all know that rational heads prevail and i can't hammer that enough especially you know, if you're in a life-threatening situation, who's going to make the best decision? The person that's running around like SpongeBob all over Bikini Bottom screaming and yelling or the person that takes a step back and says, I'm taking charge of my realm and can think critically with a clear head. People who freak out get themselves killed. Yep. Or they end up hurting other people in the process because they're freaking the heck out. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn to adopt that sense of stoicism in taking those quiet times with the Lord, cutting out the drama, cutting out the people that cause the drama, not putting yourself in situations that are dramatic. Like I used to liken to go out to the bars and drink with friends and stuff like that. Not because I wanted to get drunk, but just because it was, I enjoyed hanging out with friends. I don't put myself in those situations anymore because they stress me out. It's a bunch of people, they're drunk, they're loud, there's loud music, you know. Mm -hmm. 
and I was always constantly, okay, what am I going to do if a fight break? What am I going to do if this happens or that happens? Cause I'm a very like social or socially situationally aware person. I like having my essay about me. And so I'll go to a brewery on a, on a weeknight and hang out with the buddies and have a beer when it's calm and quiet. You know, I love that. That's fantastic. But there's a lot of things that I've quit doing socially because it creates stress and anxiety. And I just don't, I don't have really the headspace for that anymore. So, um, do you have anything you want to kind of tack on to the end of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, not having the headspace is listening to your body's response to those things and mm-hmm. just saying, you know, this isn't working for me. Just like, yeah. If it's 7.30 at night and you're trying to keep yourself up and you need to go to bed and your body's saying go to bed, like staying up isn't working for you. Go to bed. Um, And, you know, if you can't like totally remove people from your life for whatever reason, just add some more distance. Sure. Uh, Whether that's, you know, physical distance, like we're not going to dinner together or whatever or right time distance like we'll hang out on holidays or whatever sure or around and see how that like know. see how that works yeah. you know it might not be a situation to where um and uh like we did the other night and like i did earlier i want to come back on this because i don't want people to be confused uh the mm-hmm. first step should never be uh unless it's physical uh violence uh, obviously that's very important that you physically distance yourselves a hundred percent. Obviously that goes without saying, but it doesn't always have to be immediate. I'm ghosting you. You're gone. Yeah. Set those boundaries and, and those, those, Hey, you know, well, when we're together, let's not talk about this, you know, because mm-hmm. that creates strife or anxiety or stress or, okay, well, that boundary was encroached upon. So now it's going to be, okay, well, you know, we're probably not going to come over for dinners anymore. You know, we can still be respectful and, and that, and, uh, you know, we're just, you know, we'll see you on holidays and whatever. And I'm not, this might seem like I'm talking about in-laws or, or siblings or parents, like this could be for anybody. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, they could be, and then, old and friends then, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, we all have those old toxic friends, you know, mm-hmm. um, for sure. But like, and then that, that boundaries encroached upon and then it's okay. Well, you know, I'll see you when I see you. Cause I just, I can't, you know, I'll still be respectful to you and nice, but like, this just isn't working and you know, I need to distance myself and you know, there's been situations in my life where I've tried over and over and over and over and over again to set boundaries and those boundaries keep getting crossed. And if you've set all those boundaries and they still keep getting crossed, that's when you go, all right, you're done. You're not, you're not part of my life. That should never be, um, that should, that should always be a last resort because you never want to, distance yourself or you never want to have to distance yourself so far from someone that you can't still be a witness and an example to them. But when they continue and continue and continue to encroach on those boundaries, you have to do what's best for you and your family, you know? And, uh, 
and be an example from afar. And, you know, when you're given opportunities to be an example, be an example, you know, setting boundaries and, and cutting people out of your life doesn't mean you have to be hateful. Doesn't mean that you have to go around talking crap about them to other people. Um, it just means, Hey, I need distance from this because this isn't good for us, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, a, yeah. yeah, that's a really good point, Zach. Um, I liked how you, you phrased that. So, well, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Um, it was really nice uh, to get back into the meat and potatoes of this stuff. Uh, we're we're at an hour and 36 minutes now, uh, and there's no surprise on that um, just because of how passionate that I am and Zach is on this stuff. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, guys, if you're struggling with any of this or, you know, hey, you know, this relationship with my uh, in-laws or my, you know, significant others, friends or my wife's friends or my like, uh, if y'all are struggling with any of this, like, please reach out to us. Um, We'd love to help um, give some perspective. Uh, I apologize for my phone ringing. I can't get up and get it right now. Um, But like, we'd love to offer advice or perspective um, because these things are really hard to do. Um, It's not easy. It really sucks having to set those boundaries. Um, But I think you'll see that um, it's to your benefit. Uh, And that's, I mean, one aspect of all of this. Like, you know, guys, if you're struggling with, hey, you know, I, I was raised without a father or my father was absent or, you know, I even had a good father, but he didn't really show me how to be a man. Like, how do I do that? Where do I start? You know, it's like we said earlier, just start somewhere. And if you don't mm-hmm. know where that is, reach out to us, like yeah. send us a message on Instagram, email us at young, uh, ask codgers at young com or info at young com. Like any of those, I, it doesn't matter to me which one. Like we look at all of them. If any of you guys is struggling with any of this and needs help, please reach out. Cause like, this is what Zach and I are both passionate about. And we would love to get you headed in the right direction. And, you know, I speak for both of us when I say that we don't, we don't come at this thinking that we're any better than anybody else or that we have it any more figured out we're just passionate about it and want to share that passion with other people uh, and grow and learn ourselves and help other people grow and learn um, how to be a more effective man. So Zach, thanks so much, man. This has been an awesome, uh, awesome episode. Really excited to get this one out there Um, and uh, look forward to, to the next one. So yeah, enjoyed it. All right, man. Be good. It's Friday. Got the weekend coming up. So, uh, and a cold front coming in. And a cold front coming in. Let's bring it on, baby. <laughs> Them deer are going to be moving. Going to yeah. be moving. All right, man. Be good. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.